I'm Neil Roberts and this is Dragon Hour. One. Three, two, one. Taylor, Taylor, how are you doing? <laughs> Love it. All right. Oh, my video just keeps on popping off for some reason. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Dragonheart. I am your host. Jay Long, and I am joined by my brother, Bill Long, and the man himself, the pride of Liechtenstein, Matt <laughs> Griffiths! <laughs> uh, Herr Long. <laughs> How is it over there in Liechtenstein, Mark? It's regnet, yes. Vielleicht, I, I can't remember German anymore. Can I stop? Uh, I said it's raining in Liechtenstein. I have no idea if that's right or not. Um, but you know, if anybody does, that does. It's capital of Liechtenstein. If, if there is someone from Liechtenstein listening, yeah. please get in contact. Please List- get in contact. Liechtenstein. Yeah, if if you are a Dragonheart following or a Wrexham fan, please get in contact with us. Anyway, well, all I know about Liechtenstein is the capital is Vaduz. And that apparently the Swiss regularly invade it and say it's an accident. They say we didn't realise we were in Liechtenstein, which probably is why their armed forces don't have a great deal of reputation. They're not quite sure which country you're in, but just fire that goat, lads. <laughs> well, I don't know how to reply to that. That's quite impressive. <laughs> that's impressive knowledge about... That's impressive. The only other fact about Liechtenstein is the last... Wrexham player to play for Wales scored past Liechtenstein, which is Dave Chris Allen. Dave, <laughs> Dave Attell, the Gibraltar international. Never heard of Gibraltar. Anyway. Chris Llewellyn? <laughs> anyway, let's get on to the real stuff now. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Bradford, uh, Aberystwyth, and Sutton today. And we've got a few other things to talk about as well. So let's not waste any more time. This is Dragonheart. I'm Luke Young, and this is Dragonheart. Wrexham were away at home. Well, Wrexham Saturday team were away at Bradford on Saturday. Bill, Mark, well, we'll start with you, Bill. A real solid result away from home, really. Yeah, good a good result. Um, obviously not being able to to watch it out to listen to the the dulcet tones of the the king of Liechtenstein over there, uh, and his and his royal servant, <laughs> Captain Whitchurch. Uh, Captain yeah. Whitchurch, yes, yeah, the head, the commander of his army, yeah, Captain uh, Whitchurch. Thank you, Captain. <laughs> um, yeah, it it sounded like we played pretty decent. Um, I, I must admit. It's always difficult when you're not actually in the stands to really get a proper uh, uh, feel for the game. But initially, I was a bit disappointed at full time because I thought we could have done, you know, it sounded like we could have done better for their goal and we go and throw away two points. But at the end of the day, before the match, if someone had said to me, uh, you're going to draw today against Bradford, I'd have taken it. So, yeah, uh, 
fair result, I think, Mark. Ja, ja, wir haben uh, gut gespielt, aber, <laughs> sorry, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop the clop now, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose I've sort of calmed down a little bit about it lately, the uh, last few days, looking at the table and seeing that actually Bradford aren't that high up. But then having said that, since they got rid of Mark Hughes, they had won all their matches, hadn't they, leading into that game? And you could see that they'd done that classic, you know, press the reset button under the new manager in that they were... You know, they were very clear in their intentions. They've got Andy Cook, the best target man in the division, and they were loading the box of crosses, loading the long balls to him. And Owen O'Connell did a superb job of controlling him. That was absolutely outstanding. It's a brilliant man marking job. Um, in the second half, though, I think they got their rhythm more and got a lot more into our box than they did in the first. And yeah, it was a sort of bit of a cliched game of two halves. They they started in a frenzied manner. They pressed really hard high up in our half. Um, but we did manage to keep our cool. Sometimes we crack under that sort of thing. We passed our way through it. And once we'd done that and taken a grip and imposed ourselves on them, yeah, I thought we looked great. I thought we really played well. Could have scored more than one goal. But the last half hour was theirs. They did start to just regularly drive balls into the box. Um, and thankfully, O'Connell dominated Cook, which I doubt if many, if any other centre-backs will be able to say this season. Sloppy goal to let in, I agree. I feel sorry for Mendy because he'd just come on and he's on the wrong side. And maybe that just makes you slightly disorientated when you're dealing with the ball. He's let it bounce. He's not dealt with it. It's come back. He had another chance to clear it. Didn't make proper con or any contact with it. And they got in the box. But even then, I mean, Wilson's run could have been stopped. A little bit of luck with a ricochet on the edge of the area. And, well, I want to say luck, but I guess more skill that he's managed to strike the ball so cleanly while he's falling. But, you know, that's life. We, we could easily have won it. Absolutely. I think we could have easily lost it as well because they were piling yeah. on the pressure towards the last 10 minutes. Mm. So I think, you know, with a, such a big crowd, it was a huge game. To be honest, from the picture of the highlights and from what it sounded like, it that could have easily been a championship crowd. So, you know, Bill, would you say hand hand on heart if you had to really pick? Was it a point lost or a point gained? I still think it's a point lost, uh, two points lost. Um but I, I think there are circumstances where two points lost is disappointing, but but more annoying than frustrating, and situations where it's it's incredibly frustrating to lose those two points. I think it's more the former than the latter. Uh, it would have been nice to have come away with the three points, but look, you know, it, it's not like it. You know, we'll get onto the Sutton game, but if we'd have if we'd have drawn that Sutton game, it would have really felt like two points. Uh, lost there so you know it's just kind of like you take it on the chin we, we have to get used to the idea well there's two two things really we have to get used to as a fan base um one the, the performances and, and the results are not going to be as impressive as last year you know that last year was a was a, an outlier that's that's you know the, the chances of any team having a season you know it's, it's absolutely incredible that us not have seasons like last year the chances of any team replicating that for a while are, are pretty slim so drawing at one of the, the the favorites to go up is not a bad thing. You know, and and sec secondly, the level of opposition is 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 just is just improved and um it's that's it. There's, there's not much else to say. It was a thoroughly good result. We're not gonna win every game. Let's just move on from it, I think, isn't it? You know. 
I think as well, going back to your point, Che, about we could have lost it. I think that's really interesting because in terms of putting pressure on us, we could have lost it, most definitely. Uh, the last half hour, we found it quite hard to get out of our half. They got a lot of set pieces. They got big players, including, of course, like you said, Cook, who needs one chance. Um, so in that regards, we definitely could have lost it. But we actually defended superbly. Um, so in terms of chances created... Um, they 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 didn't deserve really to get anything out of it. I would argue, a Concord made one decent save low to his left when the shot was deflected. Um, but I think it's really probably a save I'd, I'd think he would make, uh, because the pace was taken out of it slightly. It still wasn't easy, and then everything else he had to do again. You definitely expect him to be able to do. They, they were mostly hitting shots from outside the box. Um, you know, so I mean. They, in terms of them putting pressure on us, yeah, fair enough. They could have got some drop their way and they got a lot of set pieces after the equaliser. But actually, in terms of creating chances, we defended our box superbly at the three. I mean, the three centre-backs were brilliant. I mean, O'Connell, I thought, was outstanding. But Tony Cliff was as well. And, and O'Connor did really well too. So, uh, you know, we they didn't make many chances to score, in all honesty. Um, but having said that, yeah, they, they did pen us back for a while. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd 100% have to agree with you there, Mark. And I also do think if we had a really weak referee that day, mm. then they might have given one of their, one of their ridiculous um, oh. penalty calls. Bill, every five minutes, it just seemed to be like Andy Cook or one of their players just toppling down in the box and the whole crowd just this really like pantomime-ish sort of screaming. I'm glad, in my opinion, I thought the referee had a pretty good game to deal with that pressure. Yeah, um, I, I was speaking to, to Clive, who I work with, and, and he made a really good point that why on earth has, has he not received a yellow card for one of those dives? Like, you know, it's it's it, it's crazy that, you know, like, look, you see it all the time. Referees will give a dive away. They'll give it the old, you know, doing the, I mean, my hands not sure for some reason, give it the old or get up sort of thing. They know they've dived, but for whatever reason, that ref just not given a yellow card. But for, for a player and then other players to repeatedly like try and drop to the floor and not one of them get booked is is kind of ludicrous, really, isn't it? The, the craziest one was, um, I think it was Wilson that substitute scored near the end of the game. He cut in off the right flank. And O'Connor went to challenge, started to stick his leg out, and then realised, I'm not going to get there. And so he pulled out. And Wilson dived anyway because he'd seen the legs starting to come out and there was about a foot between them. And that was just a blatant yellow card. Uh, but at least the ref didn't see it the wrong way in the other direction, to be fair. Mm. I, I just thought their penalty shouts were... I Honestly, I said it at the end of the match and I, I honestly I wasn't exaggerating. I just can't recall a game where I've seen so many penalty appeals by a team where it seemed to me that none of them had anything going for them. You know, when I made my notes for the game, and I'm trying to be dispassionate because I want to note down all the key events so I can talk about them in the podcast. I didn't write down any of their appeals. Uh, somebody said that from one angle, the ball hits O'Connor's hand in the box. Well, I haven't found our angle, um, but okay, there may be one. But we had two very good appeals at the start of the match, the best two appeals for a penalty, I thought. And I, I thought they were both a bit 50-50-ish. We, we were a little unlucky not to get them, but having um... not got those... Definitely, if any of the Bradford ones have been given, I'd have been, I'd have been bouncing. <laughs> to, to be, generally, to be honest, ge go on, sorry, Jay. To be honest, I think 
both those um, appeals by Wrexham weren't penalties either, in all fairness. I, I think Fletcher sort of stumbles, doesn't he, for the first one? And I think Mullen was, again, and I'm a bit critical of him and Palmer, this, they, sometimes they just go down too theatrically. And for me, that it, it, he made too much of it for me. I, if I was the ref, I wouldn't have given that either. So I'm glad. I'm glad he was obviously a referee who had a lot of courage in his convictions to not give any of them. And I thought he had a good game. In all fairness, yeah. yeah Bill, what I, were you gonna? Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I just, I just, well, f- first, firstly, like you know, if you've got to go looking for angles at our level, it's different when you've got VAR involved. But you've got to go looking for angles at our level. It probably means it's not a penalty, doesn't it? You know, unless it's just something stonewall that just really can only be saw at, at one angle. But um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's pretty fair to say the ref had a good game. We're often critical of refs, and uh, you know, credit where it's due. You're in a, in a twenty one thousand seat stadium that's full, both home and away, pretty much. That there's twenty five thousand seats. Sorry, but you know, like I think it was about twenty one thousand there. Which is a, it's a huge crowd at our level, isn't it? Let's give credit to to Bradford. Maybe they go down because they get refs folding with with the 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 level of crowd they get at that level. Is that you know? Mm. I wonder if that it'd be interesting to to hear a Bradford fan's point of view whether they do get a lot of penalties there or not. I just think as well with ours that the first one, the Fletcher one, I got to be honest, live I thought it was a Stonewall penalty. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Do you find I, I find that things do feel a little more heightened when you're commentating? Yeah. You, you, you know, yeah. you're more involved in the game. Also, it must be said, things often don't look quite as spectacular on camera. You know, as I've often yeah. said, haven't I? You know, you, someone hits a great shot from 20 yards and you think it's wonderful. You see it on camera. Oh, it doesn't look that exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> for me, behind being sitting behind Fletcher, it looked like, and maybe it's me being wrong because I'm caught up in describing the play, it looked like substantial contact on Fletcher. And if you look at that replay again, and you think, okay, he's hit him with enough force to knock him down, I think it's got to be a penalty. However, I've got to admit, when I've watched the replays, it doesn't look like it's enough force. Um, yeah. And like you say, he's off balance. The Mullin one is an odd one, isn't it? I think it's the sort of one that if it was given by the ref, VAR would overturn. Because it looked to me like Mullen was trying to feel for his leg. Yeah. Um, having said that, the Bradford player gave him the opportunity by diving in like that. Um, I didn't think he needed to, and he did a sort of you know we were we were saying that James McLean was made a mistake with that penalty he gave away at the race course and he just stepped across his man. Well, I think the Bradford players did the same thing, and uh, I would have understood if the referee standing behind it had given the penalty. So maybe mm. we are more unlucky because. This is a stupid thing to say. I kind of don't really think it's a penalty. I haven't watched it a few times. But we're sort of unlucky in that often those do get given because they look like penalties. I know that's silly, but yeah. Here's a, a, here's a question Here's a question for you both, and it's more of a general football question, but I find myself, especially in the Premier League and with VAR, I think, do you think this day and age, you know, with, there's a lot of media outlets, do you think we hyper analyze every single decision that's made where really when I remember when I was a kid if we weren't given a penalty it was anger at that second but then you'd forget about it on your walk home you know what I mean Mark do you think we look at decisions way too much this day and age even yes. at our level massively yes absolutely and I've got a great conspiracy theory about that 
<laughs> before they brought in VAR, all the pundits on TV would always be yeah. raging about, we must bring in VAR. We cannot have these terrible uh, miscarriages of justice. I know I always felt at the time, they're so keen for this, but I bet that... Yeah, are they keen for it for, to get justice or are they keen because they know it's going to make great television when you've got Ian Wright and whoever, Alan Shearer, in the studio screaming about how disgusting the mistake is, even though we've got VAR. What's VAR? Yeah. And that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> it's made great television. I'm not totally sure. I don't know. I, my mind's not totally made up even now about VAR in a way. I think maybe it's that... We've been football's been quite clumsy in the way it applies it. I've always been wary simply because football is is not a straight line decision game like cricket. Yeah. You know, did he get back in yeah. his crease? Yeah, we did or he didn't. It's a fact. And you'll be able yeah. to see it from a fixed camera. Football's not like that. And like you say, it's encouraged this this interpretive element of just how much force was that? You know, with Mullen, he does make contact with Mullen. Definitely. Fletcher gets contact on him. It's how much, and that's got to be subjective. And I think saying to referees on VAR, oh, only overturn obvious mistakes. Well, what is an obvious mistake? That's that in itself is personal judgment. I mean, it's just too vague for that sort of thing to be done. And then showing still images or slow down images again totally takes away the, uh, you know, the sort of the feel of the incident, which is it's ludicrous. I mean, so it like you said, Che, quite rightly, it comes down to did he touch him? But that's not what the rule says. The rule doesn't say you can't touch somebody. Think about that Fletcher one. If you just show it in slow motion and you take out the actual strength of which he hit him, well, you've done a disservice to the ref because the whole point is how hard did he hit him? If he hit him yeah. so hard that he couldn't stand up, that's a penalty. If he didn't, it isn't. And by showing it in slow motion or a, a still to show he made contact, it would it would mean the referee is making a decision based on something which is actually completely irrelevant to whether it's a penalty or not. I, yeah. I wonder how many times when a referee sent to the monitor, they're looking at it going, I know this still isn't a penalty, but now I'm watching it in slow-mo and I know everyone at home is watching this in slow-mo, which makes it look more like a penalty. I've now got to go back on my decision even though when we saw it in real time, the player didn't get much contact or whatever. Yeah. I, I think I, as well that when they have this idea, oh, there was one recently, I can't remember which one it was, and they said, oh, the, the whatever PGMOL says, um, the referees know when they call to the screen that that means they are expected to overturn their decision. Oh, that's That's ludicrous. The referee's in charge. And in cricket, when they brought all the replays in, they were very careful to try and make sure the ref, the umpire on the pitch, keeps overall control. Um, and they didn't; they really didn't want to undermine the umpire. But it seems like the, the PGMOL genuinely are. He should; the ref should be able to come over, and make his own decision from what has been seen, not being given biased evidence of a case for why you must change your mind. To me. So the ref should be always in control. I think that's yeah. nonsense. The referee sets a certain level of physical contact he will accept, which the guy on Saturday, I think, did. Then somebody in a booth telling him, oh, no, that's a foul. Well, no, it's his decision because that's how he's managing the game. I I, I just think some elements of VAR are so clumsily done and so ham-fisted in its execution. It's daft. 
um, my concern is I think refs are getting so much grief yeah. this day and age as well, and it's going to put off people from going into refereeing. Mm. So in the long run, there's going to be less referees, which means probably worse officiating in the in a long time. You know, the referees aren't getting protected. At the end of the day, we're guilty of it too. On commentary of being pretty harsh towards the referee, the only people who can't make a mistake is the referee. Everyone else can make a mistake on the pitch, and they're the only ones who can't. So I think we do need to change our attitudes a little bit about singular decisions. And, it, you know, if we don't get the decision, Bill, let's just move on. Yeah, I I agree, and I I I think I do also think you're being slightly harsh on you on yourself on sell ourselves there that our our job as a commentary team and, and a podcast team is to discuss these things. The real issue is is the clickbait farming of of companies mm-hmm. like Talksport, and yeah. uh, they're not the only culprits by any means. Do not get me wrong, but clipping all these things and posting it all over social media to be micro analyzed for engagement. That's the issue. You know, Gary Neville talking about a decision just after a game's happened, that's part of his job, but it doesn't then have to be spread around essentially for companies to make money. There's nothing worse than some washed-up footballer who don't know even know the rules themselves analysing a decision when they don't even know it themselves. You that know? is so true. You see it on the match of the day all the time. You know, they'll be saying things, and it's like, no, but... That's not the rule. And this whole common sense thing is, oh, just use your common sense. Well, if there's rules, you don't use your common sense. You apply the rules. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe footballers and the PFA and need to step out themselves and become referees themselves to see what it's like. Mm. Or, or maybe footballers need to, I don't know, the PFA or whoever, need to get in, in with the PGMOL and put their heads together a little bit more because at the moment it's all getting a bit ridiculous and I don't like the micro-analyzation an- analyzing of referees. Anyway. It's quite, it's quite funny you say that, sorry Jay, just like the, the ex-pros are very quick to say oh, you should have an ex-footballer in the in the VAR room because they understand the game and how it's played and and but they're not they're not putting their heads above to go and actually learn yeah. the rules of the game from professional referees are they and, and doing the, the opposite way round so yeah. <laughs> Can I also say what a wonderful impersonation of Mark Noble that was? Um, <laughs> the best 1930s Cockney accent I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, God, blimey, why don't we just all go down to the apples and pears and watch the television on the Google box? Um, i, I got to say, Jade, when you asked the question in the first place, it made me think. I remember about, oh, gosh, it must have been 10, 15 years ago. Um, there was an article, I think, in When Saturday Comes, from a person living in Italy. And they were talking about how they present football on Italian television. And they were saying, believe it or not, there's a program every weekend on a Saturday night, which or Monday night, I think, actually, which analyzes all the referees' decisions. And it's called it was called like something like referees course or something like that, you know? And I just love the fact that 10, 15 years ago in Britain, somebody could write that and we'd all go, wow, to the extent that I was struck by it enough to remember it now. And yet now that is exactly what we do, isn't it? Yeah. I, exactly. I agree. It, it makes me feel uncomfortable as well. I don't like things like you know, they ban a referee because he's made a mistake. You send a referee home from the World Cup because he made a mistake. I mean, to me, you should do those sort of things either when they are jaw-dropping mistakes, like the Liverpool goal at Tottenham, because that is 
an actual failure to do your job um, yeah. or corruption. But otherwise, referees give a decision as they see it. It's, a, it's an honest decision. And, you know, you, you stick with it. I don't like people getting punished because they make an honest mistake. Um, unless it is something, I mean, like I said that VAR fiasco with Liverpool and Tottenham was just we we have a procedure, but we're lazy and we don't do it, and we don't bother checking with each other, and I, that was a, a rank error, I admit. But it's that sort of thing that should get you a suspension. I feel. Yeah. No. And, my, and as I've said previously, my worry is that people aren't going to go into refereeing, and yeah. without re- without referees and lines, men and women. We cannot play the game, so let's not get on the referees' back so much. But now we're going to have to change the subject. After this, we're going to talk about the Sutton game. I'm Mia Roberts, and this is Dragon Heart. Well, following on from a fantastic win on Saturday, um, Wrexham... Men's had a, a game against bottom of the league Sutton, which guys I've got to say, well, Bill, I'll start with you, was a lot tougher than we all anticipated. I think I, I actually had a sneaky feeling that we'd have a tough game. You know, uh, I spoke to a, a, a few people and I was like, ah, we're gonna walk over, and it's just maybe it's just the eternal cynical pessimist in me. But just as soon as people start thinking that you've won a game before it started, I always start to panic. Um, and Sutton provided a, a real good test for us, but you know, ultimately we did show our quality. Um, we had plenty of games like that last year. The the maybe not quite as extreme as that as needing a last minute goal, but you, you just can't you just can't count any team out at this level. You know, you're not you're not playing the dog and duck. Are you? It's they're teams that are in League Two on merit. It's so hard to get out of the National League that even if you're a, lo- a, a lower-end team that sort of come up from the National League, you're going to have a level of quality that that means that you deserve to be there. Um, but, you know, whatever. Job done. But, Three points. Very happy days as far as I'm concerned. On, on the flip side, though... Um... Mark, I think these are the first side I've seen this season. Them and Tranmere, to be fair, where I look at them and I thought, these look like a National League side. Um, you know, them and Tranmere have been pretty, even though Sutton played really well, set up really well, they didn't look like they're going to stay up this year, did they? No, I, I, I felt. Well, a lot of what you said about them was was absolutely correct. Um, firstly, that you know during commentary, yeah, I mean for the starters, technically they were quite poor, and we were they were trying to move the ball around a bit in the first half. They were often playing really poor passes once put them under pressure. Um, the touch often wasn't very good collectively. Um, but then also, as you rightly said at the final whistle, that's how you get relegated. You play well, that you know a goal mm. in at the end. Because often it's not the quality of your play that matters. I think we sometimes have pitches in our heads that teams down the bottom are just playing horribly all the time. But it's not that, is it? It's it's the fact that you can't consistently do the things that you do well. And as a result of that, you will have breakdowns and it will cost you goals or you will not take advantage when you're on top of a game. And and I think that's what we saw because you're quite right. In the second half, I thought Sutton did really well and deserved a point. But 
the way I saw it, if I'm honest, is that firstly, Bill, yes, <laughs> I agree. I'm the same as you. I'm always assuming someone's going to give us a challenge until it turns out that they haven't. Um, I felt the first half, though, went as I wanted it to. Don't get me wrong. Mm. I'm quite happy for us to run away with it and score three goals by half time, and we're capable of that. But they really parked the bus like nobody has done for quite a while at the race course, I would argue. You know, the initial little foray into our half and then spent the rest of it packing their box. And I was happy we got the goal. We were patient. We were moving it about. I didn't feel a huge amount of threat from them. Um, and I just thought, yeah, this is your classic Wrexham comfortable home win. We take the 1-0 into the second half. They still can't get out, and we grind them down, wear them down. They start to get tired. They start to make mistakes, and we score three or four. And I really thought that was what we were going to get. But they reset themselves brilliantly, I thought. And I did say, Che, didn't I, in commentary in the first half, that with that 4-4-2, quite rigid shake, and with a huge team, and Harry Smith being enormous up front, that, you know, why don't you just play actual Route 1 football? And in the second half, I thought they did. If they did in the first half, they didn't do it very well. I, I didn't think they were trying that. But the second half, it was just pounder up the pitch. One of their two big strikers will jump. Doesn't have to win it. Just has to make sure that we can't head it away properly. And then they inch their way up the pitch. Long ball yeah. to Smith. He's beaten, but he's backed into Toza. So Toza can only head it out for a throw-in. Then they've got a long throw-in. And we jump and challenge. And we can't get clear touch. So we put it behind for a corner. They stick a corner in. They score. It's that sort of football. And they were, you know, when they a team like that, playing like that, imposes their style on you, you're stuck. We had long periods of the second half where we just couldn't get the ball out because they're, yeah. they push up the pitch. 4-4-2 gives them a nice even coverage of the pitch. So they've always got players around where the ball drops when Smith jumps for it. And then they're fighting for that second ball. And we can't bring them under control and play our way out. And it looks worrying. But the thing is that, well, you know, you just get that sense, don't you, that Wrexham have complete faith in themselves to pull themselves back into it. The crowd have as well. That's an important synergy. We score eight goals. But that's, yeah. that's 10 goals in the last five minutes now at the Stoke Cold Brew ends this season. I mean, flaming hell. I mean, that's insane. You both, we all remember not so long ago, entire seasons where we wouldn't score in the last five minutes or barely. Yeah, uh, yeah. And now we're doing it. We just expect to do it. We get that. We wind it up. We, cru- we squash them in. And it's, I always think, I always remember someone saying that if you get a, a polystyrene cup um, over where the Titanic is, don't worry, this is going somewhere, um, and you drop it off the side, that the, the pressure is so extreme where the Titanic is that it would be crushed down to be about an inch big by all the pressure. And I, I, get, I feel like often these last 15-minute charges we put on are a bit like that. We keep compressing teams deeper and deeper into their penalty area until they just can't get out. Um, although unlike Salford, who I thought looked like they were going to crack because we just kept battering at them and they looked shaky, I did think Sutton might hang on because they defended pretty well. I thought actually their penalty area, they had a lot more resistance than Salford. But nonetheless, I, I actually agree 100% with you, Jay. They've got a problem because they're playing quite well and still losing hand over fist. Yeah, defensively, I was really impressed with them. Yeah. Uh, because, and it's another thing that actually proves our points about the five at the back. Five at the back isn't necessarily a defensive formation because, look, Sutton were playing with four at the back 
and I couldn't quite believe the amount of space that um, McLean and Barnett had on the wings. We could have passed them. They, they were letting them have space, but then boom, it was four men in the box, four defenders in the box defending Mo Palmer and Mullen at all times. It was a sea of yellow, and it didn't look like we knew what to do with it. And I was really impressed with Samwam. So oh, I can't say his name. Uh, some their number four, Samwam. Is it? Was it? Oh, Shawumni. Uh, yeah, Shawumni. That's it. He did a really good job of keeping yeah. Palmer quiet because what I find. Hammer is so good because he's so physical, but when he meets his, his match as a center half, when a center half meets his match and if actually physically dominates him, he can struggle from time to time. But, Bill, what was your overall assessment of the game, really? Like, we we are delighted that we got the two goals, but we only got two goals from scoring two worldies. Is that, does that worry you for future games if people set, set themselves up like that again? No. Because we've got it in the bag, mate. How, how many how many teams in this league are going to be able to score two two goals like that in one game? But it's not just one yeah. game because it's consistently we're, we're scoring yeah. good goals. No, no, I get what, I get what you're saying, but I would be worried if we didn't have players capable of doing of scoring goals like that or doing the the odd special thing. We've got we've got a team. We've almost got two teams full of players that that, have, that are capable of producing magic, and that was. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm delighted with the performance. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I think there's definitely areas that we need to improve. But I would only be worried if we didn't have the players with those capabilities. To be honest, uh, I think though this is this was the first game that I uh, understood why George Evans and Tom O'Connor are playing in the same side as each other. In the first half, especially, I think the way that they them two sort of swap positions, where O'Connor will get the ball, and, and maybe it was because they're playing with such a low block that that we were able to do it. But O'Connor would get the ball, and George Evans would just drop and allow O'Connor to sort of come round him into that space and almost take up the position that the the Elliot Lay or Jordan Davis would take up, and then Jordan Davis would sort of drop back a little bit or move to the side slightly. And there was a lot of like. It just felt like it was a, it was a that first half was like a clicking moment for some of the players because the way they were swapping positions and it was almost like I don't know maybe I was just a bit delirious after a day in work but it felt almost a bit like total footballish like there, there's players in that in that team who can play in multiple positions and swap with each other and they all look comfortable and I don't know if that came across from from where you sit or whether it was just because I was behind the goal and I could sort of see them to the, their movement but between them and, and, and the way James Jones and, and Ryan Barnett interact with each other, I think we've got a, a side that really are like properly capable of bamboozling teams. Is, it, is that something that came across for you guys or was it just was it just me sort of behind the goal? I think Evans drops off quite well, doesn't he? Like you say, he, he can sometimes be sort of playing that Rafa Marquez Centre back who steps into midfield or then steps back and you just he coordinates. I think Evans has more going for him than maybe on the surface some people think. You know, I think people see him maybe just a fairly sort of basic defensive midfielder, but he's he's got more going on than that. Um, mm. I I didn't think it was like spectacularly so, but what I see it as as if I'm honest is that we've always we've always been quite fluid, so it's a, like a continuation of that process. We use that back three, as Chase said, as an attacking formation. Our wing backs are often higher up in, than our midfielders at the same time in build-up play. 
you know, and then that creates space for one of the wing, the centre backs, if they think is appropriate, to come forwards into that space. And I think Evans doing that is maybe us just, you know, being aware that we're letting a few too many goals in at this higher level, and that we've got that extra little bit of insurance that Evans can is cute enough in terms of his positioning to know how to be in a holding midfield position but drop quickly to centre to be a third centre back when we need him to do so. So I, right, I, I got, think you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I've got a question for you both. Then start with you, Che. Do we play five three two or do we play three five two? I know this is like this is like you know like it's it's a it's a really nitpicky sort of question I'd still anyway, say isn't it's it? But, five. Yeah. yeah, I'd still say it's five. Five where in the in the middle or at the back? <laughs> no, five at the back. Five at the back. Obviously, five at the back. Five the back, yeah. back yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Oh, sorry, sorry, Chase. Go on, go on. Go on, Mark. You do it. Um, I'm going to say that formations are an artificial construct. <laughs> yeah, yeah they you are. You can have numbers to to hang what teams are doing on. Um, but if you were pushing me, I would. I definitely would say three. Um, because those wing backs are major parts of our attacking play. Um, but then again, you know, when we've got the ball and when we haven't got the ball, we will deploy different tactics, won't we? When we've got the ball and the other side are parking the bus like that, we we play what? What would we call this? A three, hang on a second, let's do my maths. It's essentially more of a three, three, four, isn't it? Because the wing backs are yeah. high at the same time. Um so, so yeah. yeah, but I, I, those wing backs aren't defenders. I would argue. I see what you mean, but to me, if you if you look at a back five, I, I think you're looking at what Arsenal used to do under George Graham, where they'd either play the famous Arsenal back four, or they'd sometimes pick three centre backs and have Dixon and Winterburners full backs alongside them, and they all stayed back, and you couldn't break them down, and that was pretty much what they did, and. Dixon and Winterburn maybe would link a touch to give the ball to the midfielders, but they wouldn't really venture forward that much. Uh, that's I, a five when you're really trying to defend. I I couldn't articulate it correctly because Bill threw me off. But I 100% agree with you, Mark. Um, <laughs> that that formations are not. It's not a game of FIFA. You know, we aren't playing football manager. Yet. It's a structure that's in place that where we play our where we put our players. We've just got a nucleus of how we play, but we are playing at five at the back, if you get what I mean. Mm. Uh, but, you oh, know... Absolutely. You know, I was just look, trying to throw a spanner in the works, you, really. With you, a look at Sutton, you look at Sutton, for example, and this is what the layman would say, oh, yeah, Wrexham play defensive because we play five at the back, we've got five defenders. But Sutton were playing with four defenders, but yet they, they were a lot more physical and defensive than what we were. And we were playing at, were technically with five at the back, but really you could you could argue, argue we were playing like four up front at times because the way our wingers bomb yeah. on. So it, it, I, I just think the way the modern game goes, I don't think we look at formations now. We look at how each individual plays and each one of them have a role. So I, yeah, I, I think fans, especially at Wrexham, especially when things are going wrong, it's so hung up on playing four at the back when it's not really a problem, really, it's, in it's my an, opinion. It's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because if we went four at the back, 
we'd probably switch to either 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. And then to do that, you have to drop one of your attacking players because Mullin and Palmer, unless you played 4-4-2, in which case you'd have, you know, you'd have to have either Mullin or Palmer up front. Or you play 4-4-2, which means either Davis, Jones, Elliot Lee, whoever it is playing in the middle gets dropped. Probably the most attacking player because you can't really have a very attacking player in a, in a, a two in the middle, can you? So I, I kind of think our our formation definitely lends itself to, to being attacking, but it's what I've always loved about five at the back, three at the back, whatever you want to call it, is that it's, it's a very fluid formation, isn't it? It allows you to be defensive and attacking in the same game if you've got the right uh, squad. I mean, one of the big benefits of playing the three at the back is you can pick two strikers. If you yeah. know, otherwise, four four two. I'm not going to say four four two is dead. We've just seen it being played, but it was being done in quite a rigid, originally defensive way, wasn't it? Um, mm. And and it does give you that opportunity. I was a I was a Marcel Wenger saying about how four four two gives you the best coverage of the pitch. There's no gaps. There's no you know. Spaces behind wing backs and you play three at the back to hit a diagonal into four four two gives you solidity, but football, as Chase says, has gone beyond that, hasn't it? It's no longer players strictly sticking to their jobs and you know just all moving around in a unit. I'm not saying there's not an element of that, but that there's more um, subtlety, I think, in the way teams will try and get between the lines or will try to interchange positions. Um, but but in a basic way, if you play the three at the back, you can play two strikers. Whereas if you play four three three, four two three one, you essentially got one player in the box. Um, mm. So that's definitely one attacking element of it. And I agree. I, I'm really not a fan of all this. Uh, oh, we should go to four at the back. Look how many we score four at the back. I, I, or should I say, I think that's specious logic. I'm not saying we couldn't, but I am saying that the fact that we find success when we switch to four at the back is not a reason to do it because that is our throw the kitchen sink of the opposition tactic. And as you say, look how many attacking players we squeeze into it because we play with a diamond then, don't we? So we've got well, you know, Fletcher and Dolby up front at the end of the game on Tuesday, Mullin in the hole behind him. Lee is one of the, the flank players in the diamond. That's very attacking. And then as well, if you play back four, you don't expect both fullbacks to go up at the same time because you're leaving it too exposed. But because we're really throwing a kitchen sink, you sometimes will find we do that. This is a, a tactic born of uh, desperation for a goal, but also of <laughs> being able to, to know that we've got that momentum that we get and that side, other side's probably not going to come back as much, so we can take huge risks. Start a game like that, I think we would really start conceding goals then. That, that oh, yeah. She yeah. really starts shipping. <laughs> also, it would be also, ridiculous. Also, be amazing to watch, but you know. Also, a back three it, it enables having ball playing center halves as well, like yeah. Yeah. Hayden and Tom O'Connor. Tom O'Connor wouldn't be able to play a center half in a back two. You know, in a in a, in a back four. Sorry, um, with two center halves, so you'd have to change the the nucleus of the of a defense completely because I don't think Mendy would be as effective as a left back. Mm. I, I think James McLean would be would be. You know, Ryan Barnett as a right back, I you know, you gotta play a little bit more defensively of a back four, I think. So yeah, let's let's stop talking about formations and things like <laughs> that because I think we've covered enough as it is. So after this, a huge win we're gonna talk about a huge win last Sunday for the Wrexham Sunday team. 
against Abraswith. I'm Steve Dale, and this is Dragonheart. Well, the Wrexham women, the Wrexham Sunday team, as I like to call them, had <laughs> uh, a crew for me what could be a league defining win away from home against a very, very good Aberystwyth side, Mark. You were there commentating. What was your thoughts? A hundred percent that. I was delighted. Um, it's a massive doubleheader, that game, and then TNS next Sunday, because we want to get in the top four. Um, Cardiff and Swansea clearly are going to be in the top four. You'd have thought Cardiff met as well. They're consistently challengers, although they started the season very slowly. But then you think, well, TNS and Aberystwyth on paper are probably scrapping for that last fourth place and us managing to win at their place. It's huge, really huge. And yeah, I mean, Steve Dale was quite critical afterwards of like feeling we hadn't quite reached the right standards. Um, and fair enough. I like the fact that he's got high standards for his team. That's great. But wow, we battled like heck. And frankly, we Aberystwyth after that fabulous goal that they scored. Yeah, what a goal. Barely looked like scoring, certainly not in the second half. The second half had very little goal mouth action, um, which is fine when you're two one up, isn't it? I mean, you know, we we really kept them at arm's length. They didn't really make anything in the second half. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, uh, I'm okay with it as well. It was quite a it was a physical game, wasn't it, mm. to be fair. Yeah. And in all fairness, Mark, it we were kind of it were two scrappy goals from Wrexham and good teams, I think personally, yeah. yeah I think Aberystwyth were I, I gotta say, to start off, I thought Aberystwyth were fantastic. The centre half marks at Mark and Rosie Hughes was yeah. very, very good. Like a class above what I've seen. Wrexham women's play against, in all fairness. Uh, but we had a little bit of luck with the two goals, didn't we? And I think good teams need a little bit of luck on our side. Yeah, although I, I also think, all right, I'm going to be awkward here. I don't massively believe in luck. I think I more believe in you make your own luck. And I think that firstly, look at Rebecca Pritchard, who's playing on the right, who I think is an, a very intelligent player. She scores the second goal because she follows in just on the off chance. I mean, let's be honest, it shouldn't have been a goal. The keeper should have taken the ball into the box. <clears throat> but the two centre-backs, the two defenders who are coming back with Pritchard, stopped because they knew that's keeper's ball and it's okay. Mm. But Pritchard, Pritchard had seen that the keeper had made some good saves, but the handling wasn't brilliant, that it was slippery. And she just thought, I'm back in my instinct here. If I chase these in every time, I'll probably get one more a season. And she was right. And then with the first one, right, so we, we've got the ball, we penned them in, Gibbard's helped her on, it's been put into the goal mouth. And then I thought Pritchard's, I mean, maybe it's just inevitable because of her position on the pitch, but <clears throat> you've got the defender, Rebecca Mathias, facing her own goalkeeper. She wants the keeper to come out. The keeper's not coming out, so at least not soon enough. Something which happened a couple of times beforehand, so whether Pritchard is looking at that, but she's been very quick to come in from the flank and challenge, and she doesn't actually get a touch of the ball, but she deserves an assist, I think, because she is really hassling Matthias. Matthias is only about six yards out. Come on, come on, take it, keeper. Come on, come on. Pritchard's there. Matthias is so occupied with trying to 
shield Pritchard from it, that she's really not aware that Hughes, who also has got a predatory instinct of, I'm going to chase this in, even though they should deal with it, is coming on the other side. And she just essentially doesn't really realise it. And Hughes nips in, and it's it's scruffy. But, you know, it's just throwing in the old uh, cliches, eh? Who wanted it more? <laughs> She's, she just kept chasing her. But I thought the way Pritchard blocked off one side of her was crucial. And the Vice was so obsessed, quite understandably, with not losing the ball to her with her in the six-yard box. She's not aware that the best striker in the league is coming on the blind side. So even though, yeah, they're scrappy, they're lucky, but they came about because attacking players made good choices and saw a chance where maybe other players on the pitch, the Abrus's defenders particularly, didn't see a chance coming. Bill, regardless of you know how we play, I thought we played pretty well. And I thought Aberystwyth have played pretty well as well. In all fairness, regardless, again, you know, we need to get into that top four and um, the latter ends of the season because the season does break off. Bill, away from home, a scrappy win, it, it, it can be huge, can't? Especially with another six point to come in this Sunday. Yeah, it's it's a lot like that. Um... In like the Sutton result, in a way, it's for for the men's team. It's a similar sort of thing where, come the end of the season, you're not going to be looking at that as oh we scrapped that win. You're going to be looking at that as three points, and your position in the table is affected by that one way or the other. Um, am I right in thinking that it's two games against each team before it breaks off? Yeah. So yeah, so exactly. So to to have played them, uh, beaten them, and then be looking at. Uh, away from home, be looking to maybe, you know, if our home form stays as good as it seems to have been so far, apart from that game against Cardiff, uh, to, to then beat them at home later in the season. We then play them again if they if they get into the top four as well. Twice. So twice. So you you build you're not only building sort of momentum for the for the ordinary season, you're also giving that psychological edge to yourself, aren't you? So you need to be beating as many of these teams as you can, not only for, for the, the the position in the league, but to actually have that sort of mental edge going into the latter half of the season. Oh, 100%, you know. Uh, Mark, as well, you know, three points away from home against Abras, of who many to believe are one of the better sides in the league. And it was quite evident, to be fair, uh, it, it leads into this huge game on Sunday against TNS. If we can get a win there, Mark, that's a really, really good run of form. And I know Cardiff are still only three points ahead, but could there be a title charge on? I, I, I'm not going to reject that idea at all. I mean, let's look at it this way. Firstly, getting into the top four. Well, we're second at the moment. And we've played over a third of the normal season. It's fourteen game season, so we've actually we're a long way into it. Um, title charge. I thought, I thought you could see that Cardiff and Swansea have had the advantage of playing at a high level longer than us. That the, the semi pro thing is not an advantage for them because they're only turning semi pro now, but they have had that Cardiff and Swansea infrastructure supporting them, and we're behind them on that. And I thought you could see that partly, and they just looked a bit more grooved in their passing. Well, Swansea did. Actually, I didn't think Cardiff did so much, but also fitness. You know, we've got conditioning coach now, but we didn't have her 
until this summer. So that takes a while to really, I think, fully kick in. And we looked exhausted in the last 20 against Cardiff. And up until that point, I thought we looked as good as them. So how long will it take for that better conditioning to kick in is a big question. Going to Cardiff and Swansea will be difficult. Let's not kid ourselves. And those games may well be the games that sort of take our chances of a, a title tilt away from us. But you never know. My my gut feeling is that at this moment in time, due to circumstances, Cardiff and Swansea are probably a little stronger than us. But we're not that far off that standard. Now, the the downside of what Bill was saying was that if we get in the top four, we'll be playing Cardiff and Swansea four times throughout the season, twice mm. normal season, twice in the, the playoff. And if they are a little bit better than us, you know, the odds favour the stronger team, don't they? But I... I think if we, as we continue to get those benefits from this better infrastructure, we'll improve quicker than they do. Whether it's in time enough to do it this season, I don't know, but I feel hugely encouraged by what I've seen this season. We are competitive at the top end of that table, no question. Well, I've got an idea, Mark, for those Cardiff and Swansea games. If we do get into top four, bring them to the race course, pack the race course out and make it as intimidating as possible. That's what I think anyway, because... You know, to get that extra little percentage of edge over the other sides is brilliant. And another thing I'd like to talk about about the women's league, the other, you know, the team we watch on a Sunday is while I was watching the game on Saturday on the stream, how nice is it, Bill, that, you know, a Wrexham side is representing Wrexham in a Welsh league? We don't have that with a men's team. You know, we, we, I have memories of us playing in that FA Premier Cup, whatever it is. It wasn't the FA Cup or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. I, I have memories of that and really, actually really enjoying watching us play against Welsh sides and contributing to the Welsh ecosystem of football. It, it, it's so nice for Wrexham to be playing Aberystwyth away from home. I just think it's a crying shame that the likes of um, Connors Key aren't in this league either because they fully deserve to be in it. The league needs to be expanded to at least 12. And Britain Ferry, to be fair, yeah, because they yeah. gave us a hell of a game, didn't they? Uh, in in the playoff uh, game, so yeah, it's 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 an absolute buzz to see Wrexham playing in the Welsh leagues. I, I'm not quite Tommy Cow's level of of a Welsh league enthusiast, but I I've been to watch uh, Bangor City play a lot when I was in university there, and you know, occasionally me and you Che will go up to to watch Brickfield, won't we? You know, I've not been yeah. as many times as you, but you go quite a bit, and it's it's a the the Wrexham is is absolutely ingrained in the history of Welsh football. So so to play our part again, it, even if it is, uh, not quite. How can I put it? It's it's kind it's kind of like we're going to be seen as we're coming in and buying the league, and it might not be seen positive by some people. You know, if we do get into a good position, but I I think having the exposure that we're bringing to the women's game in Wales can only be a positive and hopefully we can help grow the, the women's game in this country just like we grew the men's game all those, you know, 100, 150 years ago. That's a brilliant point. I mean, uniquely positioned to do that because our women's team are internationally followed, internationally known. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Hells Bells, we talked about how the National League could have done more to take advantage of having us in the division previously. Well, I hope that the Welsh FA are smart enough to see that they should be taking advantage of us being in the Adran Premier. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. And 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 what what's better as well than to see, 
you know, local people playing for the team that they love. Just, just yeah. the two, the two women's episodes on on uh, the documentary have been my favorite two of the season. And uh, you know, for a lot of people, that might sound like a pandering, but it's re- it's really not. Like they've both been fantastic, and just to see these these people who are semi pro with so much passion for for their area and, and for the team is just uh, you, you don't get that in the men's game anymore unless you're willing to follow really low level football. So it's 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 been really enjoyable, isn't it? Watching how well the women have done, Che. Yeah, say, you didn't sound like a panda. Pandas sound more like uh, <laughs> I've got I've got panda eyes going on. At the oh, moment. fair enough. All right, maybe I'll think panda. Yeah, but <laughs> but what I've got to say is, you know, the Rex and men's team are playing on Saturday away at Notts County. The men are away. The women are at home on Sunday. I have to play. Please get down. It's 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 a lot more affordable than men's football. It's a lot more family orientated. It's a lot more relaxed, a completely different way of watching football. Get yourself down and come watch this great team and let's get the whole town behind them as well. Because I think it's there's something special going on there. And it, it's obviously not going to be as reported as much as the men's side yet. But those episodes have come out this season the women's game in Wrexham is going to grow huge. Honestly, please get yourself down to this massive game on Sunday against TNS. And hopefully that guy with the hat is there and is crying. Yes, and I, hope, <laughs> and I hope he's crying after the game. Um, after this, <laughs> we're going to finish off the show. I'm Amy Davis and this is Dragonheart. Well, this is the end of the show now. It's been a really good one, really insightful, actually. Probably a lot more football-driven than what most of our content is, to be honest. Um, I'm ashamed. <laughs> yeah. It's because there's no Neil. We can't talk about pigs. Yeah, that's yes, it. We, we can't bully Neil. That's the reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, again, this weekend, two huge games in the Adrian Premier League and in League Two against Notts County, old foes from last season again. Guys, are you excited? Well, I'll start with Bill. Bill, are you excited? Two massive games. No, I'm nervous. I feel like it's not going to go our way this this uh, weekend, only purely because we're not at home, and I think that's just that's probably the only two, probably the only way we edge them. Um, but I am. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's going to be a good game. I'm excited for the game itself, but I'm just, I am a bit, it's most nervous I've been this season, I think. Hi. I'm not nervous. This is why you become a football fan after big <laughs> matches. I'll be looking forward to County again. They'll be desperate to put one over on us. Um, and I think I could play in our favour. So desperate yeah. to put one over on us, they forget to just play football. And as our seventh goal rolls in, and the last Notts County fan walks out of the ground with half an hour left, you know that we've finally come home. There you go. That would be a good episode next season, wouldn't it? I, I feel, yeah, that's a huge <laughs> test. But there's four promotion teams. So it's not like last year where any drop point feels like the end of the season. Um, and I think that in terms of the women's team, well, you know, they've been making a really good account of themselves. They're up against a side that is... Of similar quality to have rust with, so we need to get out there and do what we did last week again. So we've got well, Ava Suckley back from suspension as well. And how many goals she scored in her last game? Um, oh, yeah, six. <laughs> so that's a good strength and depth, isn't it? Exactly. Well, 
Are you an international fan? Yes, I hear. You can watch the game on Saturday. By, by, I thought you were talking to me. By, by buying one of the match passes on um, Rex and Player. Or if you're... Uh, uh, Oh God! If you live in this country, <laughs> you throw yourself off. <laughs> if you live in this country, you can listen to me and Mark at Notts County, and you can listen to me and Mark against TNS on Sunday. Mm. I don't have the kids for the weekend. It's going to be brilliant. I got two football matches to watch on the Saturday and Sunday. The grandparents are having them. I can't wait. So, <laughs> guys, it's been a brilliant podcast. This has been Bill Long. Mr. P- the Pride of Liechtenstein himself, Mark Griffiths. Thank you, Sean. And myself, Che Long. I cannot wait for the football this weekend. Uh, and that's it. That's all I have to say. This is Dragonheart. Auf Wiedersehen. I'm Tommy Cows, and this is Dragonheart. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah.